0: The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea
1: is to uh, innovate, or else why? Why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do, and I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things.
0: Love my fans. Just simply Michael Jackson. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. Hello and welcome to episode 97 of the MJ Cast. I'm Jamin Bull and we're kicking off season 5. Sorry about our extended break between seasons, but hey, you did get three or so surprise episodes during that time. Today we're lucky enough to have Michael Jackson's head of security during his latter years, Mr. Bill Whitfield. Q and Elise will be back next episode, but until then, I'm here today with my guest co-host and no stranger to listeners, author of Michael Jackson, Songs and Stories from the Vault, Damien Shields. Hey, Damien, how are you?
2: Good, thanks, Jamin. Thanks for having me. Bill not only served as Michael's head of security in the final years of his life, a time that continues to fascinate fans around the world, but he's also a published author. Bill's book, Remember the Time, Protecting Michael Jackson in His Final Days, details Bill's three years as Jackson's chief bodyguard. This was a time when Michael was putting the pieces of his life back together after securing his freedom following 14 not guilty verdicts in his 2005 child molestation trial and was attempting to rebuild his career. Bill Whitfield, welcome to the MJ cast.
3: Thank you
0: for having me. Yeah, Bill, thank you so much for joining us on the MJ cast. We're absolutely thrilled to talk with people who knew and worked with the king of pop, Michael Jackson. But in this case, it's uh, very, very special because you actually had a very unique job in that you had to defend and protect the safety of the most famous individual on the planet. So very excited to talk to you about that. Thank you again for joining us.
3: Certainly. Thank you for having me.
0: Now, normally when we interview guests who knew and worked with Michael Jackson, we like to go right back to their origins and find out how they actually got into the industry that they ended up working in. So, please, Bill, take us back. Talk to us about how you got into the world of security.
3: I do come from a uh, law enforcement background where things just started with me, protective, securing level. After a short term in uh, law enforcement, I was offered a job, uh, head of security for the uh, security manager for uh, Radio City Music Hall in New York City. You know, Radio City Music Hall in New York, every celebrity comes through there at one time or another. You know, they have the Grammys there. The Oscars is one of the shows that I've uh, coordinated security for in L.A. three times. You know, my, my history goes goes back, you know, you know, from the infamous P. Diddy. Andre Harrell, Russell Simmons, and then I was overseeing security for Motown Records. So I've delved in a lot of security work um, while in New York City. It was security positions and details that brought me to Las Vegas, which I was supposed to only come for a couple of weeks and I took a liking to Vegas. I like the weather. It's nice out here. So
2: You mentioned a couple of names there of people who you have been security for. Are there any other noteworthy celebrities that people might know that you've worked for in the past? Whitney Houston, Shaquille O'Neal. In what period of time did you work with Whitney and Shaquille? Ooh.
3: Shaquille was. Oh, let me see. You well, asked me to go back now. Yeah, you asked me to start using my brain like here.
2: Huh? <laughs> Which decade?
3: Early <laughs> Early two thousands. That so before Michael. Oh, yeah, before Michael, definitely. And Whitney was back in late 97, 8. It really wasn't your first
2: foray into protecting royalty. I mean, like Whitney Houston is one of the biggest singers ever. And Shaquille is one of the biggest sports stars ever. Those are pretty big jobs. It's not only, you know, their own security is important, but they're an icon. They're someone that's like, you're protecting them for them, but you're protecting them for the world. That, that's pretty
3: pretty unique position to be in well you certainly never wanted anything to happen to someone with that status something to happen to them on your watch that would not be forgotten i've often heard you know i was in one place and, and mr jackson was in the other when he passed you know i was taking care of some other other business for him but people often ask me you should have been there what if you were there I've had my thoughts about the what ifs and this. I'm not a doctor. I don't know how I would have reacted. Certainly would have been panic mode for everybody because that's not, I don't think that's a situation that you're trained for. I've never, I've trained for a lot of situations. That was not one of
2: them. He passed in in the privacy of his bedroom, which is, I mean, is that your area even? I mean, is that even your place to be? Surely there is a moment where Michael Jackson, the human being, has a moment of, Solitude, and you don't go in there. Like, how would anybody know what's going on behind his closed doors when he's trying to sleep? Like, that should be his most intimate time. Right certainly,
3: yeah. But no, I've, I've been in his bedroom before, and that was certainly upon being invited. You know, to whether well, surveil things. Anytime we left the house and came back, we did a full surveillance of the house before we allowed him to even just go in it. We didn't just roll up and let him go. No. No, it was never like that. No, we had to go in throughout the house everywhere to make sure things was good. You know, there was a time where I wasn't there, but, you know, he mentioned to us there was a girl that snuck into Neverland and stayed there for four days. She stayed in the closet. So she would come out the closet at night or when things was quiet, either use the restroom or get something to eat. For four days, she stayed in the closet. And he he came down in the middle of the night and seen her at the table
0: eating. Oh, my goodness. Could you imagine doing that? Like, coming out late at night to your kitchen, get something to eat and somebody's sitting there? My
3: goodness. Exactly. You know, just on safety purposes, you know, for us, it would be unusual to to know what his bedroom looked like. That wasn't That was no big deal.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, some of these names you were talking about before, would you say that you established a uh, like an as close a relationship with some of those celebrities as you ended up doing with Michael Jackson or?
3: No, no, I would, I would, if, no, I certainly established a, a personal relationship with them, but it wasn't as deep with as with Ms. Jackson, those because ind- those are individuals I remember. Those individuals certainly are public figures as well, but they, I'm sorry, they're private figures as well, but they were well receptive in the public to where there were no onslaught of, of crowds and people getting trampled going out with them. You know, there was no, it was no, it wasn't like that. So their need to get up and go was a lot easier than Mr. Jackson. You know, if they want to go to the mall and movies and go shopping. We can do that without having to go through the thoroughness that we would do with as Mr. Jackson, because we knew going out with him in public is sometimes like a damn volcano. That may and may not erupt, and we have to be prepared for that when it came to Mr. Jackson. These other individuals, you know, people certainly admired them and wanted their autographs. Mr. Jackson, he, he very rarely did he leave his home if he if he didn't have to. So we took care of a lot of personal things for him. And the more and more you dealing with him on that matter and finding out the things he wants, he needs, kind of things he likes from the store, you kind of get to know them more personal, more deeper of what they like. They like to eat, you know, and things like, Just you, you you, find out a hell of a lot more because they really depend on you. You know, but all these other celebrities, I mean, you know, certainly we did tasks for them, things they may have wanted, but they were, it was more easy for them to just get out in public. So. In the book,
2: there's a really cute story where Michael's in a public place and there's a bit of hysteria building and, his whole way of saying, let's calm this down by saying that I'm Prince <laughs> I
3: oh, mean, yeah. well, one,
2: one uh, of the biggest artists in the world. But like yeah. when you compare the stature and the level of, of public interest to, to Michael Jackson, nobody can compare. It doesn't matter how big they are. And that's just no a really one. great, a really great example of, of like, you know, tell them I'm one of the biggest artists in the world and they won't be interested because there's no one as interesting as Michael Jackson. It doesn't matter who they are.
3: That was the time I came up with that. Mr. Jackson ain't come up with that. Give me my credit now. So, no, no. That was, uh, yeah, we was in, uh, I believe, a Walmart somewhere in Virginia. He was he was covered up a little bit, but there was something about Mr. Jackson that <laughs> no matter what he covered up, well, you know, other than the motorcycle outfit that we put him in, no one ever recognized him in that. But the way he chose to come out in public thinking a scarf covered my whole face, nothing shown but my eyes, put on some gloves, whether he put on some black slacks or he had to just, you know, the flannel pajama bottoms. Listen, people knew who he was. It was the way he walked. It was his demeanor. People knew and he kept wondering why the, how the hell to help these people know who I am. He, cause he felt he was covered up good. And we used to look at him from a distance. Like if we weren't working for him, we have to look at him for a minute and say, you know what, what do we think? That's Michael Jackson. And for a minute, you're like, yeah. Yes, it's just <laughs> something. He just, he wasn't good at his disguises at all. It like, and he would always ask us, how do people keep finding out who I am? And it's like, I, I, <laughs> I wanted to give him the hard truth. You know, which is, Mr. Jackson, everybody know who the hell you are. He just has swag. Sometimes I often wondered, does he realize how big he is? I wondered, did he realize did he realize that? Knowing that you're famous and successful and you have admirers and fans, but do you realize how big you are? I don't know if he realized that. Yeah, he's seen all the people come to his concerts, but I don't think he understood. No, these people like you and feeling you have love for you outside of your damn concert. I don't think he understood that.
0: And Bill, for those listeners who haven't read your book yet, could you talk to us about how you originally first came to work for Michael Jackson?
3: Well, there's, there's a friend of mine that I've been doing uh, some personal security details with named uh, Jeff Adams. And I've known Mr. Adams for, uh, at the time, maybe close to, uh, close to 15 years and uh, we we've done details time to time, done some traveling work, and he gave me a call, telling me he had a client coming to town, and they needed escort from point A point B. You know in those terms. Point A point B is where they're landing, where they're coming in from, and point B is their destination to where they're going to be going. So they needed, you know, just pretty much a safe passage. I took the gig, and certainly sure, and we did our pre advance. And I, at the time, I didn't even ask who it was because it really didn't matter if we had a detail to just escort someone from point A to point B. And, and I felt that's all it would be. So as for who they were, I wasn't concerned with that. I was more concerned with just the detail, that, you know, what my responsibility was. So once the family came in and, you know, I still didn't see who they were uh, when they got off the plane. Again, I, I was less concerned. I was more concerned with this, you know our surroundings, what was going on. And once we got back to our location, back to the house, I helped a little bit with bringing some luggage in the house. And I figured, hey, we good. Cool. I'm ready to get the hell out of here. And that's when I was told to hold up. The client wants to meet you. But I'm sorry, just prior to that, I did ask the guy. The guy said to me, Jeff said to me, did you see who that was? And I said, nah. I is said some skinny dude and with a few kids. <laughs> and I said, I said, get the hell out of here. And he said, word up. I said, really? I said, well, I'm like, I got a little nervous. Michael Jackson? Now I've been with some celebrities before. That's that's it. It don't get no bigger than Michael Jackson. Period. That's it's everybody else, Michael Jackson, thank God. You know what I'm saying? So it's like that's it, you know. Um as well, as I was concerned, having grown up and big fan of, you know, Jackson Five and all that stuff. So, I was like, wow. I was like, yo, can you think you can get my, get an autograph for my daughter? And he's like, hold on, man, you might get more than the autograph. I was like, oh, shit. I'll take a few pictures. You know what I'm saying? I was a little excited. Cool. Asked me to come inside and introduced me, <laughs> more like introduced me to Michael Jackson. I was, I was, I was tripping. I really was. I was, no one's ever made me feel that way. And I've been around a lot of people and I was like, wow, this is crazy right now. You know, but I told him, you know, it was an honor. You know, I was a big fan and we talked about Motown records, you know, cuz we you know, I worked I worked for Motown Records for a little bit and I know he has some history with Motown. And then he called the kids over and I introduced them to me. For a moment I'm wondering, "Why like why is this introduction going longer than I thought it should be. Because normally I've met people, hey, how you doing, Bill, so-and-so, and they're so-and-so, and that's it. All right, everybody, good night. But when after I met the little ones, and he said to them that Bill is is our new head of security, I was in awe right now. I'm like, what the fuck? What, what the fuck is going on? That's why he's playing a trick on me. I looked at Jeff. Like, I gave him a look like, what, what the fuck is going on? So... Jackson, they said they were tired. They were going up to bed. Was, he was like, he said, "Oh, we'll see you in the morning, right?" And I said, "Yes, sir." So, uh how I got pulled into that position, I, I don't know. I, um, other than when he told me that we had the detail, and he said, "Yo, you, we," they, he said, "The client wants a copy of your resume." You know, and you know your. There was some background information that they needed, and I provided that. But I guess on my resume, the whole Motown thing is what was – I don't know if that was impressive. I don't know if that was a sign. I don't know.
2: Shaquille O'Neal and uh, Whitney Houston. I mean, Michael Jackson
3: worked with you know, he Shaquille did, O'Neal. They were on the resume. Friends with but They were certainly on the resume, but he didn't mention any of that. You know, All he said was, I see you worked for Motown. And I said yes, sir. And he says, "He said, you know, a lot. It's a lot of good times there." And that was that was only questioning toward you know resume, but then that was really it. That was the start of the journey. And the
2: journey. How many years did you end up working with Michael?
3: Up until his death, I was I was employed December twenty second, oh six. When he came into town. That was it.
0: Talk to us about Mike and Javon. They were brought in later, right?
3: Yeah, they were brought in later. Yes. Yeah, there there was a few guys that assisted with the security that evening, but these guys were, you know, they were pretty much there just for the night and safe passage, you know, from A to B. Then after that night, we had to figure it out.
0: Yes, okay, thank you. And and of course there was a movie that came out a little while ago on Lifetime called Searching for Neverland. And of course in that film you were portrayed by Chad Coleman. And I think he did an outstanding job myself and and to me like the, the most compelling element of that film was your relationship with Michael and and your portrayal and especially the early part of the movie, the story you just described about meeting Michael for the first time, was just <laughs> really, really awesome to watch on screen. So talk to us about what your thoughts were of, of the the film and how you were portrayed by by Chad.
3: Oh I think Chad did a great job. Uh, we we talked often. Uh, we, we spoke often, you know, him, you know, I know I know he's read the book and Uh, Or, you know, he certainly referred back to it as much as he could, but we, he and I spoke often to just try to capture, you know, exactly what we were going through or what I was going through, you know, to have to carry out this, this detail.
0: And speaking of the detail itself, I mean, way back in season one of the MJ cast in episode five, we were lucky enough to speak to Kerry Anderson, who was Michael's head of security during his trial in the mid-2000s, and also for a portion of time when he was in the Middle East. Now, when when Michael came back to the U.S. eventually and you picked up the reins and took over as head of security, talk to us about your day-to-day work and what it it entailed for you.
3: Well, Mr. Jackson was not, you know, certainly was not, performing at the time you know, there was a lot of meetings going on but when he first landed you know got into Vegas he had an itinerary that was that was uh, prepared for his either his managers and or his, his uh, the nanny he knew, he knew very well that also handled a lot of personal matters so he had an itinerary who he's going to be calling who's going to be calling him who's going to be visiting where he needed to go if we had dinner arrangements, you know, we have a detail to ensure safe passage to and from was there. So it, it all it really depended. But he was someone that had a daily itinerary, just as the kids did during the week with the uh, did have a, uh, a school teacher that traveled. So everything with, with Mr. Jackson was concerned and with the kids was concerned, there was a daily schedule for them. You know, whether there was something that he needed from the store that was on the schedule that we needed to pick up in a tree, we do that. But if there were some places that he needed to travel to, with a few hours within notice, that we'd be able to, you know, uh, prepare a safe passage. So it it, it really depends. Did he leave the house much? Not really.
0: And let's say he did want to leave the house for something like, say, going to a shopping mall or something like that. How extensive was the preparation for you guys, including, like, you know, any site surveys or anything you might have had to do?
3: We would certainly do a pre, you know, pre-advanced detail on just going to the mall, find out what the best time or the day to go. Like, if he's if he woke up, you know, he was never one to say he wanted to do something immediately because he understood what our roles were, you know, he understood. So we really didn't do anything at the spirit of the moment, unless it was something that he did not have to get out the car. Like if he wanted to go get, I want to take the kids to get some ice cream. We don't have to get out the car for that. He want to take the kids to McDonald's. We don't have to get out the car for that. But anything that he was getting out of the car, we, we had to do a few hours pre-advanced detail to ensure whatever was going on at that location was calm enough for us to feel comfortable enough to walk into and to know what our egress and ingress would be to, you know, to remove ourselves from the situation quickly if needed. So times that he would be getting out the vehicle, we've definitely prepared for that. If we knew he didn't get out, he wasn't getting out the vehicle, we'd just go. Again, anytime he was getting out the vehicle, we had to pull out all the stops and ensure that wherever we were going, we'd be able to handle ourselves and at least exit immediately and effectively, if necessary.
0: Were there any times that you did go out with Michael where you were concerned about his safety, like when any potentially dangerous situations arose?
3: Dangerous You know, anytime too many people start to form is dangerous. You know, you got so many people. We've been in several situations where, you know, the onslaught of fans and admirers, onlookers have bombarded us, and it became too dangerous either for the kids or not even certainly for Mr. Jackson. But when you got that many fans and onlookers and people screaming, the possibility of someone throwing something, shooting something, or physically doing something, it would be hard to know where it's coming from. So anytime I felt that we were in a situation that I felt that we are at a visual disadvantage, it's time to go. We didn't allow it to get to that level. We monitored it getting to that level. And as it got close, it was time to go. Mr. Jackson never questioned me whenever I made a decision. To bounce. Just a
2: quick uh, shift of gears. What was one of your favorite moments that you spent with Michael? Something that comes to mind is one of your favorite things that you that you shared together, or that you did
3: for him or with him. <laughs> a lot of laughable, laughable moments. I I, lo- I, lo- I loved seeing and hearing him smile and or laugh at something and if you knew me well enough, you know, and I felt comfortable enough being my personal self at times with, with Mr. Jackson. And I would say certain things. It just got to a point to where, you know, you, you would just make little comments and he was very shy. Absolutely. Very shy. And one, you know, there's several moments, but one of the moments that stick out for me is when, um, we were in, I believe it was in Georgetown. We were at a red light, and there was this young lady on the corner to our left. And it's, you know she's just, you know, she's about you know, ready to cross the street, wait for the light. And he goes, he goes, wow. He said, wow, look at her. She's beautiful. And I'm like, I looked over, and I'm like, wow, she's hot. You know, she's cute. Long hair, curly hair chick. She was cute. I said, you want to meet her? And he said, said, no, 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 no. I said, all right. So the light changed, and I drove off. But I said to myself, you know what? I'm going for it. So he didn't realize what I was doing, because he just thought I was just driving. And I'm driving. I turned around, and I made it back to where that young lady was walking. And she was walking. He crossed the street, and she started walking down this block. You know, as a matter of fact, she's walking towards Georgetown University. And so I pulled up and I, I pulled up to her and I said, hello, excuse me. I said, hey, how you doing? I'm sorry to bother you. But, you know, listen, I'm doing a personal security detail for someone and they would love to meet you. She says, "What?" what she goes, what is it like? What do you got like Michael Jackson back there? I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. And I said, Mr. Jackson. he said, Bill, no. And I'm like, Mr. Jackson, she's right there. You might as well say hello. So he put the window down. He said, hello. He said, you know, oh, my God, I didn't know he was going to do this. So it was like I did what I could to bring some form of normalcy to his life. You know, me, you, we out and about. We see people, you know, and we'll approach them if we want to say something to them. That was not him, he was not, he was never in that position to just meet someone, you know, on his accord. Everybody's always coming to him and who they run into, they run into Michael Jackson, the King of Pop. I think he really wanted that, to be that that guy to kind of make the first move, be an introduction to someone. And I I put him in that situation, he, he was embarrassed. But then he just started asking her questions. You know, like, what was she doing out here? She said she was going to school. He said, what are you going to school to be? And I found that strange because normally when you and I, we meet somebody that's going to school, we'll say, what are you studying? He said, what are you going to be? Because in his mind, people go to school or go to college to be something in general, you know, We've had that conversation about mm-hmm. whole education before. So just, just one of my memories is just having, I put him on the spot to say hello to someone and it was like he was pretty much making the first move instead of someone coming at him. And that's what I, I know he wanted that. I know he needed that, but it was so funny the way he was caught off guard introducing himself. You know, you know there was a, the girl asked a couple of times, you know, is he really, and, you know, are you really Michael Jackson? You know, but I think he tried to keep the conversation to what she was doing. What's going on? You know, where are you from? You know? So I, 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 I keep that in mind, the normalcy, the normalcy things that we've tried to bring in his life.
0: Yeah. I, I find that absolutely fascinating. And what a wonderfully told story. Thank you.
4: This is Diana Walzak, sculptor of the Michael Jackson History statue, and you're listening to the MJ Cast.
0: Uh, as you've probably heard, there's a, there's a documentary out there at the moment, directed by Dan Reed, called Leaving Neverland, which is, you know, causing a lot of controversy around the world. Uh, it portrays Michael Jackson as a child molester, as a pedophile, and I've, I've got to ask, as somebody that spent a lot of time with Michael Jackson daily for years. How sure are you that Michael Jackson was interested in women?
3: We spent you know you spend a lot of time with someone you know you know people have often ask me you know how you know how long did I work for them well, that's not a really a long time. No, you spend almost every day with somebody. It's a long goddamn time, and especially when they need you. they depend on you. I mean it got to the point to where <laughs> i I tell people like this. We all had a boss before that got on our goddamn nerves. Michael Jackson was my boss. And I assure you, there were times he got on my goddamn nerves. So we were able to drop our guards. I'm a very private person, very private, reserved. And he would be that kind as well, because he's not one of volunteer information. You have to ask him. You have to talk to him, you know. And I've always found myself that way. So the more and more we were around each other, we will find ourselves just talking about general things. And I think that's something he he enjoyed doing is just talking about things other than business. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's what his life, you know, certainly entails so much of business. So he enjoyed having a, a conversation that, that had nothing to do with business. You know, so there was times when just to out and about, we drive, and I'll see women and I'll ask him, So Jackson, what do you think about her? You think she's cute? He'll look at her, um, oh, her hair's too short. Okay. So we named a few people before, and I asked him before, you know, you know, coming up, if he could date somebody, you know, who who were people that he found attractive? He named Halle Berry. What's that chick that that married Seal? Hallie. He thought she was hot. When we have them kind of say, guys, dudes, we're having conversations about women. I mean, you're not thinking whether he likes women or not. It's right there. because I don't need you thinking whether I like women or not. We're having a conversation about women. So obviously, as two men, that's what our preference is. In my line of work, observation is key and I paid attention. I paid attention to Mr. Jackson. It was important for me to pay attention. I need to know, I, I had to somewhat put myself in a position to try to know the answer before he even asked me. So I paid attention to things. So when it comes to, when people ask you, as you question, how would I know? Or how did I know? Or how could I be sure? I mean, I ain't seen see no signs of anything otherwise. Cause I know what our conversations were. We talked about women. We talked about not, we didn't never, we never got explicit as to graphic and all that kind of stuff. No, we didn't have a, a talk about women about a sexual nature. We had a talk about women who was beautiful, who's attractive. The
2: book covers that there was a few women that Michael did have relationships with. Can yeah. you speak to that while we're on the topic?
3: Well, at least one, you know, we'll say relationships, you know, um, certainly he spent more personal time with one one young lady in particular though one other did come visit and they hung out I mean we went to took them to dinner went for walks you know they stayed in one hotel he stayed with his kids and you know in the mornings we would you know either go pick him up go pick her up and we'd just drive so that was I thought that was something that one particular was more more of, a, more of a friendship two people that just really admired one another as, as friends but there was another particular one that I think there was a little more going on certainly he spent more quality time with her you know, pretty much only in the back seat you know, because the vehicles in which we had had a curtain, kind of like a black curtain that you couldn't see in the back seat this particular young lady came to town which she only came to town at one time that they hung out, and I mean, it was about two, two thirty in the morning. We drove downtown DC, walked around the, the Lincoln Memorial, and all those at downtown Washington DC buildings, and all these you know, all the business areas down there. at The Vietnam Wall, hung out, you know, and they was they, they walked as a couple would walk, holding hands. It was a little breezy, so there was a little. Closeness, just walking. They had their little personal conversation they had going on, just talking about whatever. I knew what he had with this young lady was different than the other young lady. You know, because the other young lady was just pretty much just really a solid friendship. This one here seemed like more of an attractiveness to one another. Just the way they walked and talked and giggled and shit. It, it, for a moment, it sounded like two two fucking teenagers just giggling and shit, and in the back seat. You can hear the sound of kissing, you know, but to us, it was normal. It was no big deal. Like, dude's having some private time. Nothing else crazy going on. I know that. But just knowing that he had someone in his life that sharing a personal moment with other than business. That's what we observe. That's what I've seen. And when I hear all these other. You know, I don't, I don't even like defending it. I, I don't. I really don't. Because some people's minds are made up. Who the hell am I if you doesn't believe me? You know, but when we come across the fans that do believe otherwise, you know, I enjoy talking to them. Because those are the people that mm-hmm. he, he cared for and that he appreciated.
0: Yeah, and it's so sad that there's people out there like Dan Reed, Wade Robson and Jimmy Safechuck that want to push this false narrative that Michael Jackson loved to spend, you know, inordinate amount of times alone in a bedroom with young boys being a pedophile. Now, I need to talk with you and get your stories down on the record. You're an incredibly important person in Michael Jackson's life. During this time, you were his head of security and I need to ask, did you see Michael spending... Alone time with young boys in his bedroom.
3: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Mister Jackson was very, very naive in some way. I've often heard people say, you know, you know, he didn't have a he didn't have a childhood. You know, I've heard that before. He pride in working for him or that whole. He didn't have a childhood and all that. Huh? You know, and you know, I would be quick to wonder. What does that matter, you know? But when I got to work with him, around him, for him, I'm seeing it now. I'm seeing the naiveness of what he's never experienced. Like you and I, I like to think that you, we've grown up, we go through middle school, high school, we hang out, we go to proms, we go to basketball games, baseball games, we go to school pet rallies. Hanging around all these people, around our friends, we learn different things about people, different lingo. You learn different things when you're around a bunch of different people. You're just one of many in the spot, but the spotlight is not on you. You're part of everything going on. And Mr. Jackson coming up, what I've noticed was he didn't have that. He didn't have all them basketball games and hanging out, pep rally, going to school crime and all that. He didn't have that. So, his verbalage is going to be what he learned in the books that he read or read every day. Very smart man. His language, the way he spoke was very, very in, in when he spoke. He's used words that I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. Sometimes. Very smart. So, when I think about people saying the whole Head up, I'm like, damn, where y'all get that from? Because I guess me, I was inside the bubble. So I knew what the hell was going on. If you're outside the bubble and you're looking in, you don't know what it, you don't know what it's like to be inside here. So you're gonna have your opinions. And that's what people go on now with, well, he, you know, around a bunch of kids. I can really only speak on my watch and in the character that I observed. He's wanted to help kids. We all know him having helped cancer patients and, you know, all that, you know, as, as being a humanitarian of all the work that he's done on that level. So many people have turned his helping or his wanting to help kids into such a negative thing. So when I heard, I watched the videos of him saying, there's nothing wrong with sharing my bed. Now, if I heard that from the outside the bubble, I'd be like, man, that shit ain't cool. I'm inside the bubble. I know what he's saying. He's not talking about, I'm gonna get in the bed with another motherfucker. You can hit, hit, you can hit, here's my bed. You can have my bed for the night. That's sharing my bed. You're not gonna take the shit with you when you leave. I'm gonna share it with you. Him saying that, I see how that shit can be taken taken in a different direction. Mr. Jackson was laying up in the bed with no kids. One, definitely not on my watch.
2: One of the criticisms that the Michael Jackson fans have of the media is the fact that the media tells one side of the story. What the fans are trying to do at the moment with this Leaving Neverland protest movement is allowing the facts to come to light and, and trying to give the public the ability to... Assess the situation, not just based on what the media wants us to hear, but the whole other side with the exculpatory evidence that shows that Michael Jackson didn't do these things. Mm -hmm. To be completely journalistically fair right now, to play devil's advocate, and I want to preface this with, I do not believe that this would have ever happened, but if you did see Michael engaging in something that you didn't think was an acceptable behaviour, as your job as the head of security what is your level of interject? Like, do you interject? What was your role to ask, hang on, I'm I'm witnessing this. This doesn't seem right. And what do you do about it if it happens? And I'm not saying that you did and I'm not saying that it even could have happened. But if Mm -hmm. in any circumstance you see something that your client is doing that isn't right, what what is your duty of care in that moment?
3: Doing a job, doing a security job, being head of security, executive protection, that is a job. That is a hat that you put on. And you go and you wear that hat, and you go perform that job. You see something that's inappropriate to where a grown ass man is doing something with some little kids. Okay, I'm gonna take this hat off for a minute. I'm gonna take this hat off of being Mr. Jackson's security. Okay? I'm a black man. I'm somebody's father. I have a daughter. I have a child, a young child at like that. I have morals. And I have certainly a level of responsibility of maintaining who the hell I am. So there would be no way in hell that I would even allow something such as that to happen and or continue on my watch. Would I have approached Mr. Jackson? Mr. Jackson is a grown ass man. I would have approached him like a grown ass man. Any, I've said it before, posted on my pages, Anybody that knows me, my friends from back home in New York will tell you, if I witnessed anything like that where Mr. Jackson was concerned, I said it before, I will say it again. I would have kicked Mr. Jackson's ass myself. I mean that. Protection of children is something that I am a part of today. It's something I've been a part of yesterday. It's something I've always been a part. I am a protector of those that are less fortunate. Vulnerable, and that can that, that can't really defend themselves. So when I ever see something like that, countering something like that like that, oh, I'm stepping in. Oh, I'm stepping in. I've often said it about celebrities. A lot of all the ce- oh, celebrities that get into trouble, that do R. Kelly's main example. We have barriers to get to a client. I was the last line of defense. There was there were others before me that you have to get through to get to me and to get to the client. No one was going to get past me like in, in that manner. No one. Had I seen anything remotely to that, oh, no, no, no. You ought to have heard about it in the papers. You ought have heard something. It wouldn't have been pretty.
2: So keeping on the topic there, and we can transition into the Leaving Neverland film just quickly because there's something that was claimed in that film bill that falls within your watch during the time that Michael lived in Vegas in 2008. Wade Robson alleges that Michael Jackson and his children attended a barbecue or a lunch or something of that nature with Wade in Vegas in 2008. Um, Being that you worked with Michael on a daily basis throughout the entirety of 2008. Can you speak to that claim and give us a little bit of information about that period of time and your views on where that claim could come from and and the
3: validity of it? I watched the uh, Leave in Neverland documentary. I normally don't watch Michael Jackson stuff. I I really don't. But when I was hearing that there were claims being made of some barbecue in 2008, I said, when I had to, like, hold on, I need to watch this shit. I'm like, when the hell did this happen? So, for anything like that, especially on my watch or my detail, I would have been the one to arrange the situation. Okay, that's one. Two, this dude, uh, Wade Wade, Robson, whatever, um, he made it sound like he had the ability to contact Mr. Jackson at any time. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No one was able to reach Mister. Jackson, and I say that is because it was a period that he wanted to be unreachable. <laughs> Even in fact, his cell phone was in my name. The cell phone that he had was I had taken a you know a phone out on my account, and he had that phone. So any calls he didn't give his numbers the numbers to anybody. Any numbers that. Anybody that called him that had that number was certainly particularly his mom. But, so when I heard Mr. Mister Rob Wayne Robson whatever uh, say he just called him and arranged to have a cookout I said that was it. That was kind of I almost turned the TV off because that's what I knew okay. Everything's coming out of his mouth right now. He went and brought some hot dogs get the, you know what and Mr. Jackson asked him to bring him some wine. You know I'm going to tell you something. When I heard that part I said, he read my book. That's what I said. This man read my book. There was something that his mother said. In the, in, um, was it his mother? One of the moms had said something. And I said, they read my book. I knew that all oh, that shit was fabricated. Well, a lot of it. You know, again, I can really only speak on... What took place under my watch But I also feel like I'm in a position to speak On Mr. Mr. Jackson's character And a lot of words that they were Using or things that they were saying That Mr. Jackson said back in the day I said no that's not how Mr. Jackson talks They're referencing Someone that So just to be clear and definitive Mm -hmm. There was no barbecue in 2008 You're right there was no barbecue No sir And if there was a barbecue
2: you would have been Involved with a I would have known be, the
3: detail. I would have known would have setting it up.
2: So there wasn't a day at all in your time with Michael where Michael went rogue and went out without you and did something that you didn't know about.
3: One time he did go, he he took a drive with uh, the nanny, Grace. Grace, but, yeah. grace yeah, Grace been around longer than all of us. So we didn't question that.
2: Well, just to be clear, when was that and do you know where they went? No. And which city was that in? Las Vegas. Okay. So there's no chance that that could have been
3: the barbecue? that didn't didn't happen. Okay. You know, and and again, you know, it's hard to get people to see from my point of view, or try to see the questions that I would ask. It's like if you watch the documentary, if this boy supposedly spent seven years on knowing Mr. Jackson was seven years and he did, was doing something to him for seven years, they hung around, it was buddy, buddy, families and everybody. Where in the hell are the pictures? I keep asking these questions because every picture they showing up from concerts. Where's the free time? All this time you all spent together. Where are the Where are the pictures from y'all just chilling out, hanging, having a good time? Here it is. You you go to a cookout. You ain't seen Mr. Jackson in years. You going to Michael Jackson? Everywhere we go, this camera's flashing all the fucking time. You trying to tell me you took your wife and kids to see Mr. Jackson, Michael Jackson? You had a cookout and not one goddamn picture. Come on, man. Who do you think you're talking to? Not one. Not one. Seven years, not one picture.
2: A slight shift in gear again. Michael Jackson as a regular dad. He was a single father, three children, breakfast, school, outings, discipline, you know, advice, wisdom, bedtime. All of the things that a father does for his kids. What was that like in the world of Michael Jackson?
3: I can only attest to when the kids were in the cars out and about before anytime we got to a location whether we were going to a mall or going to an amusement park we were going to even just take the kids he always had a quick speech with them you know learning to behave you pay attention you listen to what they tell you to do as for the whole in the house, what went on breakfast? I, I can't really speak on that. I, I I wasn't there too often enough to know how he spoke to them. But I know he ensured when it came to schooling. You know, we had a uh, you know, in a teacher that traveled with us, you no know, certified teacher that had all the certifications to ensure that, that the kids were going through the proper educational and grading levels. He ensured, we had a, a room in the house that we set up as a classroom. You know, kids got up every morning. School started at eight o'clock. The boys wore, you know, the slacks, shiny shoes, white shirt tie. Parents often wore that that Catholic girl dress. They, they went to school as though, like they were like in a real school. And that was under his direction. He ensured that. We, we took the kids on field trips. I know driving times that we would be out and about if the kids wanted something and he would make a comment. Whichever one didn't do well enough in school. Somebody was talking too much. You didn't do your homework. You didn't do he disciplined on the level that they wouldn't get certain things. But it was in speeches. Everything he said was to me, it was always like a lesson. It's like he's always pushing off knowledge, you know. But they would ask in the car, you know, "Can we go to McDonald's?" Can we go to the park? And it was times he's like, "No, you didn't do what I asked you to do, so we're not going." And it's like, wow, it's 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 crazy to hear Mr. Jackson, Michael Jackson, like putting his foot down with his kids. It's like, this is this is something that people don't talk about. People don't, like, so it was new to us. Like, wow. So that side, but it it also came normal. Came normal. Great dude, great father. I mean, and I would definitely tell if it was otherwise. Very concerning. I mean, it was in wintertime. We took the kids to the park, got the kids in the car. We drove off. Mr. Jackson called the car. Said, Bill, does Blanket have his gloves and his hat? I looked in the back seat. No hat, no gloves. He said, "No, turn around." And I told him Do not to get his glove and hat. But we had to turn around and go back and get the gloves and the hat. And the hat. He was on top of things like that. When we were staying in Virginia, and he called Bill, we are out of detergent. You know, we need we need we need more detergent when I told one of the other guys to go to the store to get some detergent and when he came back from the store he said yo who's washing clothes the nanny ain't here I was like oh shit she sure ain't so it just made me made us wonder we don't know we didn't see him you know but we know there was th- those three young kids we know they wasn't doing it was Michael Jackson really washing clothes <laughs> All I know, he asked was detergent, the and there was no nanny. So, <laughs> you know, you can only assume.
2: It's mind boggling that we look at Michael Jackson as someone who potentially couldn't wash clothes, yeah. it's like, it'd be considering the capabilities and the achievements of his life, you know, mm-hmm. the biggest, most talented musician, entertainer, performer ever. It's such a visionary to create mm-hmm. new genres of film with the short films and music videos that he did and the innovation of dance and the absolute cutting edge music. And then we we go, wow, like you could use the washing machine. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's just interesting. Yeah. There was times that he would tell us that we don't, the kids don't have any more cereal. And he would just bring us out the uh, empty box of which cereal to go pick up. Things that so many people would not imagine that Michael Jackson was doing out of normalcy. Because I think that's what a lot of people don't understand about him. The normalcy effect of the things that's normal to us, but some people could not imagine him doing it.
2: Now, one of the things that we can imagine Michael doing is music. In your book, you talk about the fact that Michael from time to time had different people, different producers, engineers coming to the house to collaborate with him, going to the studio to collaborate and working on music. Do you remember any specific names, any particular producers that Michael was working with? Did he discuss any of his, you know, favorite collaborations or any of the, the songs that he was working on? Can you talked about that that period of his life where music was involved and collaboration was involved and um, and perhaps if you even know of any of the songs that were being worked on during that period of time that we may since his passing have heard.
3: As for the people that came through that, that that he was working with music on, Well I am Acon, musical beats that would get sent to me via email. I'd burn the disc give to him so how he worked and what he did inside the studio certainly there's times in which i've stood by and i've been right there and watched him do what he's doing it was never anything that i directly paid attention to because you could get lost you could get lost in michael jackson's world by just paying attention to him watching what he do but i had to mentally know what our jobs were not get lost in this shuffle of the michael jackson world i didn't pay attention to the work they were doing because that was his world that was his thing definitely a genius i've listened i've heard songs i heard different songs but again that was his world and I never intervened in that world unless I was called to come in.
2: And regarding the collaborations and the fact that it's often been referred to that Michael was a vagabond in those final years of moving around and he never really spent an extensive period of time beyond, you know, a year or so in one particular place. Did the disruption of Michael's life picking up from Vegas and going to Virginia, going to D.C., going to New Jersey, going to New York going back over to Los Angeles, did the did the constant move, did you feel or detect that there was any disruption to his creative process or like the progress of of the work that he was kind of actively trying to do? Because by the time he passed away, he still never got the new music finished. He never released anything. Um, do you think that the lifestyle perhaps influenced his ability to, to get it done? It was distracting or... You speak to that at all?
3: I didn't see anything that would make me think that moving around, going from spot to spot was interfering with uh, what he's doing musically. Because honestly, all I know, he was working on new music. That's all I really knew. Again, I would get sent tracks for him to sing over. I'd get the tracks. I'd burn the disc. I give it to him, and he's in the studio doing what he do. I didn't. I didn't hang around him like that. Once he's in his studio, a studio, my job is to ensure to what's going on outside this studio. So I, I really can't speak on, you know, whether moving around played a part in his music. Uh, I, I. I don't know. You know, I didn't get that. I didn't. I never got. I didn't get that sense because everywhere we went, he still worked on his art. He still worked on his music. Everywhere we went, a different producer, you know, or or choreographer would meet us, and they would just do their do their work. We moved around for reasons. Everywhere he went, there was a reason.
2: One of the most interesting uh, residencies that Michael took up during those final years of his life and it was, again it was a period in which you were around for was the, the almost three months that michael spent in new jersey with the cassio family in one way that visit is interesting because leaving neverland thing these other families tell the same story they say you know that michael was a friend of the family and he stayed in the house and this and that and he spent extensive time in our home and and whatever else they posture it as, like, a grooming and a, like, kind of getting in and, like, being all creepy about it. But Michael was friends with the Cassio family since the early 80s when all of those kids were very young. Yeah. And he remained friends with them. They tell a very different story about the nature of their relationship with Michael. Since Michael has passed away, Eddie Cassio or Angel, I think is what he referred to him as, has come forward and the collection of songs that he claims that Michael and he recorded during that period in 2007, while Michael was staying at the Casio home. I'm wondering if you can speak to to, to that period of time and and you know when you're receiving MP3s and and different things by email, burning discs for Michael. Was any of those things coming from Angel Casio?
3: Yes, I know they did do some work because. I know that there was a studio in the house. And there were times in which whether we retrieved, ran a few errands for Mr. Jackson, things that he wanted or needed. And we'd run out and get what we needed to get. And we'd come back to the house, to the Cassio house, and we could hear them inside the studio working. You know, we can hear it. it was, you know, not hard to know that. So we knew they were working in the studio, working on what. I couldn't tell you.
2: And how did the, the the visit at the Cassio family home actually come to be? When Michael just decides to pick up and go, and he's going somewhere, how does it actually work out? Because I think it's quite um, well reported that the Cassio family visit was somewhat sporadic. It's been said that he, you know, it's been said by Frank Cassio, one of the one of the brothers, that Michael just showed up like in the middle of the night, just showed up and stays for three months. Like how for you as the head of security who has to detail things and make sure things can work and mm-hmm. make sure that there's going to be no problem. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Michael's doing something like maybe slightly sporadic, or you know, are they even going to answer the door?
3: Well, I, I knew early on, you know, from back in Vegas, matter of fact, when, when Mr. Jackson first moved to, got to Vegas, Angel, Angel Cassio came to visit maybe within two days, so he was at the house in Vegas for a couple of weeks. So I knew that this was someone that was close to Mister Jackson. So when we traveled to, we left Vegas and went to Virginia, and we was out there for a couple of weeks. We was out there for a couple of months. But within that time, Angel came out and hung out. Um, just having seen him again that did tell me that this was someone that Mr. Jackson trusted and it was cool and just having passing by or being in the car and hearing their conversations you know some was personal some was about business, music so you know again I just took it to the fact that this was someone that he trusted so I was able to put my guard down because my guard was always up no matter who was around him so but when I realized that this was someone that you know he had a personal relationship with I was cool with. so Angel came to visit us in Virginia and he stayed for a couple of weeks he left went back to Jersey and I was made aware that we would be going to Jersey soon so I did make the preparations for extra vehicles for Mr. Jackson and the kids to take such a long trip good. I didn't want to have them driving in the uh, in the SUVs for that length of time. But we did have a nice, like a commercial van, commercial bus, that they was able to be relaxed and yeah, so being sporadic, I don't, I don't recall it being a sporadic move because I had to plan it. I had to plan the move.
2: Still on music, but a slightly different topic is the uh, the purchase of the headphones. Can you speak to the feeling of that moment and tell that story?
3: I was assigned to get him some headphones. And I was looking for a good make. You know, I thought Sony was a good make. Without thinking what his differences were with Sony. Trying to find some nice ones that, you know, it was like some sound. Camp. Matter of fact, I was specifically asked to get some sound canceling ones and It was a little bit over hundred dollars I think. It wasn't until I was in the house, maybe a day or two later, and I saw those headphones, like, all discombobulated, like someone tore it apart. I'm like, those are damn headphones. I just went out and brought, like, what the fuck's that about? But I did find out later, they said Sony. In the news today, from the strange and According weird
4: SF Singer Michael Jackson's, Jackson's estate Jackson is heavily criticizing changing. the new the documentary that centering on the, the pop has superstar
1: has the benefit- of Neverland, saying it is a tabloid. In Neverland, two men, Wade Robson and James Safechuck, claim Jackson molested them when the last a large amount of malicious information has been released into the media about him. Apparently. This information was leaked to a transcript in a grand jury proceeding where neither my lawyers nor I ever appeared. The information is disgusting and false. The public is fine. They buy the tabloid. That will shut them down to make ugly stories and gossip and rumors I and mean be vicious and evil and ugly. That is regardless. Don't even, don't buy it. Don't buy it you can do for me kiss right here kiss right here you respond you're a goddamn deserve their privacy. You are not allowed to go there.
4: charge in count one of the indictment, dated June 13th, 2005, for person number eight. Count two, verdict. We, the jury, in the above entitled case, find the defendant not guilty of a lewd act upon a minor child as charge in count two of the indictment, dated June 13, 2005, for person number eight. Count three, Verdict. We, the jury in the above entitled case, find the defendant not guilty of a lewd act upon a minor child as charged in count three of the indictment, dated June 13, 2005, for person number 80. Count four, verdict. We, the jury in the above entitled case, find the defendant not guilty of lewd act upon a minor child as charged in count four of the indictment, dated June 10, 2005,
0: Person number eight. Hi, this is Scott Ross, lead investigator on the Michael Jackson trial, and you are listening to the MJ cast. Thank you for listening. Bill, let's talk now for a little bit about what was going on towards the end of Michael's life. We know that Michael ended up being surrounded by some incredibly, well, for lack of a better word, shady people, uh, including Conrad Murray, who eventually went to jail for manslaughter, being the person most responsible for the death of Michael Jackson. Uh, And of course, there were some other people around him at the time as well. Uh, John Branker, the co-executor of the Michael Jackson estate, was really starting to come back into Michael's life during this time. And there's many, many reports of Michael being terrified to be around that man. Did Michael ever voice to you any concerns about these kind of people, maybe like John Branker?
3: No. only thing I was put on guard or put on alert about was once this show starts to come to reality, I was gonna start seeing the vultures come through. And it was true. Phone was nonstop. So I I wasn't aware of any particular names of individuals that could be on alert about. It was just getting a heads up that oh, he's about to go into King of Pop mode because for so long we've been dealing with Mr. Jackson. He's about to go into king of pop mode, and he said that's where all the ugliness is going to come, start to come.
0: Yeah, and obviously the ugliness did come. You know, there's court transcripts that talk about Randy Phillips, the AEG executive, slapping Michael Jackson and throwing him into a shower right before the London press conference for This Is It. It was a shocking time for Michael Jackson, really. And obviously all of these things were going on behind closed doors. Oh, absolutely. Otherwise you would have done something about it, I'm sure. Um, Did you see like a mental deterioration in Michael Jackson as he was getting closer to these
3: concerts? He was more withdrawn. He was tired. But then again, you have to understand, I'm seeing something different than who I've been dealing with a long period of time. But most of the time we were traveling, we was away. He was spending a lot of time with his children. So that's the whole, this is it starting to come into play. It's a transformation to the king of pop. And that person has to deal with a whole bunch of other people now. So, and there's a lot of requests being made. So I'm seeing, I knew something was, I knew something wasn't right. You know, you, it's like, you know, if, you, if you've been around someone long enough and they're, they're they're not as high spirit as they once were, they're not as talkative as they once were, you get the impression something's not right. I didn't feel like it was, it, it was in my place. To question? No. All I can do is just be there physically and answer if asked. So, but I did see just the whole preparation was taking a toll. It, it changed him. It changed him.
0: Yeah, it's a very complex time. In Michael's life. And and thank you very much for going into detail there about that time period. And what we'd like to do now is to start talking about your book that you've written, Remember the Time, one of my favorite Michael Jackson books ever. And uh, I'd like to, to ask, at what point did you realize you, you really wanted to get your story down as a book for people to read?
3: While I was at the memorial service, that's when it hit me. Looking at all these celebrities inside here and you know to get inside get to the staple center when i first got down there and i seen all these people cops almost 7 to 10 blocks out that that every, the traffic is blocked off i'm like yo this is crazy this is huge that helicopters must have had every goddamn cop out there from LAPD i mean man and just seeing a number of fans and, and then when I got inside I'm seeing all these celebrities and I said, what the fuck the Kardashians doing here? I I saw them I was like, what the, it just it just and it just made me think about all the times that we were traveling, we was on a road, and there were some times that we've got asked to leave hotels now you know, whatever reason, credit card on file being declined. Management office can't. I can't reach them. It's just something wasn't right. We, we were not in a good place. So everybody that had my number that that needed my number had it. I was easy to reach if you was got if you were going through his manager. I wasn't getting no phone calls from none of these people asking how he's doing, how the kid's doing. Like, that's what friends do. But when I got to the memorial service and I've seen all these celebrities in their best outfits and all the fans was outside, he left with a lot of unanswered questions about him. Like he didn't get a chance to tell his story or a story. And I just felt at that moment, I had something to say. I had something to share. You know, I know it's not good to, you do personal security for someone or anyone, you know, maintaining a form of confidentiality is key. But I felt his fans were owed something and i felt i i had some i have some answers to some of their questions i don't have a lot of answers i don't have all the answers i have some and i want to share that because he's not here to share it and there were some things about him just as a person as a man as a father i want to share that too
0: yeah and we and we thank you very much for following through and writing your incredible book and getting those stories down because without that Book without remember the time, we would still have a lot of unanswered questions as fans, like you said. So it's a real boon to us, I think, as appreciators of Michael Jackson, to know the truth in those areas. It's sad, I think, that that he didn't get to have the final say on his life. He went through a grueling trial in the mid two thousands, and it would have been great to see him return to the stage as well. Um, listen, when you first started the the process of writing the book, there was an interview out. Um, I think before the book even came out, it was three of you guys sitting there. It was you, it was Jayvon, but there was another gentleman called uh, Mike Garcia. Uh, would you be able to tell us a little bit about what what happened with Mike? He's not in the book. Um, that I found that part a little bit confusing, but I'd like to know, yeah, what what happened to Mike in the end? Um,
3: it's been a topic I've been somewhat reluctant to speak on. We, we we had a difference of opinion on how the project should go. How how the how I've often said that yes, there's some things that we would probably never speak on. I know I won't. Are those things that that are detrimental or inappropriate? No, no, none, not, nothing like that. It's just I felt that there's some privacy moments things that Mr. Jackson may have said to other people in my presence that I, I I won't admit, I won't speak on that. Those were some deep personal conversations he's had with people. And I just happen to be an earshot of having heard it. So I'm I'm no, I won't repeat those things like that. But I'll just say Mr. Garcia felt we should have spoken on those things. And I I said I will not I won't do that.
0: Yeah, I see. Yeah, I, I thought it might have been as much. And I guess all I can say is thank you for choosing to uphold Michael's privacy. And, you know, I can imagine there would have been some very, you know, private, confidential things that you would have been privy to being physically around Michael Jackson so much. And uh, I think it's really noble of you to want to wanna uphold his privacy. Uh, listen, I want to ask about the publishers. You know, when you were shopping the book around, when you'd written it, did you find any particular publishers you were dealing with were wanting to push you to maybe make the book a little bit more uh, salacious or include some some things in there that were a little bit more juicy, more than you know the reality of what actually happened?
3: Okay. You know, good question. And one of the things that I keep I keep telling people, it was not easy. We got turned down when I first pitched my my first uh, uh manuscript. And when we went shopping around, just trying to get the deal, we got turned down by 36 publishers. We were told they don't do stories like this or it's not enough. It's not controversial enough. Based on the manuscript, we can tell you guys have more to say. And maybe if you decide to share a little more controversial information. We can work something out. And I said, I don't have any controversial information. So I don't think nobody wanted to side in which we, the book was presented publishers wise. And I always said, I'm writing this book for the fans. I'm hoping somebody that will see it my way.
0: Yeah. And I must say the book's been incredibly well-received. I haven't seen too many detractors about it at all Uh, probably the only person i've seen that's been a little critical of it would have to be another michael jackson sort of collaborator uh by the name of karen Fay, who was his makeup artist for quite a while and i always found it interesting that she she'd be critical of it
3: she ain't been around i wasn't on her watch she wasn't on mine so but we were we were fortunate enough to the way it kind of really happened I was working for Andre Agassi High School in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I knew his attorney quite well. And I told his attorney, because Andre Agassi had just written a book. And I told him, I said, listen, we're trying to get a book deal. I'm getting turned down by so many people. You think your publisher? Well, Andre would help us out. He said, yeah, give him a call. Here's his number. Gave him a call, sent him a manuscript. He told me <laughs> the type of book that he did but he thinks he knows someone that would be interested. So he sent the manuscript to them. They were, they were in London at the time, I believe. But their assistant in New York got it. And their assistant read it. The assistant called him in London, Peter. Called Peter in London. Told Peter that he had a manuscript here by Michael Jackson's bodyguards. They want to do a, you know, a book. And he said he wasn't interested in doing a tell-all book about Michael Jackson's and the guy told him, well, this is not a tell-all. These guys, you know, really with him was on a positive side. He sent Peter the manuscript in London. Peter read it. Peter called me. Told me he liked the direction that it was being presented. And he wants to come to Vegas to meet me. And he flew to Vegas. The rest is history.
0: Fantastic. The rest is history indeed. And of course, you can get this wonderful book from a range of places. You can grab it on Apple Books. You can grab it on Amazon. You can get it from rememberthetimebook.com. There's a whole bunch of places you can get it. And I really encourage you to read it. It's one of the most important accounts of the later years of Michael Jackson's life that we we have and a great account of the real Michael Jackson, not the Michael Jackson that... uh, Places like leaving Neverland or trying to sell the world. So thank you very much again, Bill. And where can people find you online if they want to connect with you?
3: I'm yeah, certainly. I'm on Facebook under Michael Jackson Bodyguards. I'm on Twitter, Michael Jackson Bodyguards. I speak to. The, I talk to fans daily. I answer questions. Getting back to the book, I have a limited copy. I have about two hundred books uh, that I was given by the publisher. I do sell these books. I created a website to give an idea what the book is about. Name of that website is rememberthetimebook.com. Again, I do sell a limit. I have a limited amount of books. I am autographing in the money. One of the biggest things that Mr. Jackson did when he was here was he did a lot of contributions to the homelessness. There's a big thing I'm part of now. I've been in part of it for some time. Every Saturday, every first Saturday of every month, I do I do a clothing drive, I do a food drive, and I pass out a lot of food, a lot of clothes to the homelessness here in Las Vegas. And any money that I've made will make, book sales, go straight to buying food and, and providing a good day, a community service to our homelessness that are out there that just happen to be part of our less fortunate members of society. And I remember Mr. Jackson being very supportive to them and in his name, in his honor, it is something I've continued and will continue. So again, I have a limited amount of books. I would like to, you know, I've already sold a few, sold maybe about seven so far. I ship them free unless it's outside of the country. Outside of the country, I do ask that they pay for shipping. But other than that, I get the books
0: out. Fantastic. And we can't wait to get the word out even more about your great, great book. Now, Bill, we've only got a couple of questions to go. We're going to wrap things up pretty shortly. And and one of these questions is one we ask every single special guest that we have on the show, people that knew and worked with Michael Jackson. Bill Whitfield, how do you think Michael Jackson should be remembered?
3: Michael Jackson, I feel he should be remembered just for what he tried to do. He felt his music was the antidote to evil, the negativeness. You listen to his music, he felt his music was the cure, you know, and he's often said he's made music based off, you know, the thoughts and the struggles of children. that I, I listen to his music more so now and even listen to words. So I think he should be remembered just for what he tried to achieve with his music. And that was kind of, no matter where you are, what you're doing out, hanging out with your buddies, friends, Michael Jackson's song comes on. Everybody is connected at that very moment. Everybody in that club, in that arena, in that place, in that house, in that party is all connected right now. Because we are all listening to some music that none of us any have to say, who the hell is that? We don't have to, because we all know. So right now, this very moment, we are all connected, because we hear it. And that's what he felt his music would do, is to bring people together and just make it better. I think I would like to see people remember him as that, what he tried to do with his music. And in some ways, I think he has. Some ways, I think he had.
0: I love how you just put the focus on the music right there. That was that was great. Now I've got to ask you, how's Jayvon doing? Do you guys still catch up?
3: Yeah, oh absolutely, yes. He just he's out of town. Um, he's on you know taking care of a personal matter, but uh, he's he's doing well.
0: Oh, fantastic! I really hope I get the chance to talk to Jayvon one day about his experiences. I think it'd be a great conversation. Um, and I've got to ask, what are you up to these days? Are you still involved in executive protection?
3: Yes, I currently own a security company here in Las Vegas called Bulwark Security and I, we do currently one of the big things with my company you know we certainly provide you know everybody knows Las Vegas is is a, is a legalized marijuana industry now out of uh, 30 some odd dispensaries they have out here they do need security so my company provides security for 14 dispensaries uh, we also provide security at T-Mobile Arena for special events. We also provide security at low-income housing areas, just as a, a presence. We also provide security in the morning areas for where there are schools, where kids walk to schools. So I have like eight people on my team that monitor the areas between the school, you know, just making sure nobody's getting snatched up. Keep our eyes on our little ones. And one of my big things with my company, I'm employing students directly out of high school. Once they graduate, especially the ones that we can be all honest that they're not going to college. All these kids ain't going to college. So the ones that have their mind made up that they're not going to college, I'm training them in the art of security, protection, getting them trained and certified. And I'm getting them a job. When I worked at a school, one of the students once asked me, He said, Mr. W, you used to work for Michael Jackson? Yes, sir. And P. Diddy? Yes, sir. He said, you could work anywhere. Why do you work here? I said, you want the truth? He said, yeah. I said, well, I work here. So if I could stay here and help you get a good education, without a good education, you might go out there and just start robbing people. And guess what? You might try to rob me. And guess what? I'm going to shoot your ass. <laughs> oh, and wow. he understood just what I meant. So, <laughs> I'm here to make sure you do what you're supposed to do. Do what you're supposed to do. We'll only see each other in the grocery store. Simple as that.
2: Uh, register paying for the food.
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Well, Mr. W, it certainly has been a pleasure having you on the <laughs> podcast.
3: <episode. laughs> yes, sir. <Even> Mr. W, <laughs> certainly appreciate it.
0: I'm going to call this episode the Mr. W Special.
3: <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir.
0: Thank you again so much for coming on from the bottom of our hearts, from Q, from Elise, from Damien and myself. We really appreciated it that you could join us and talk to us about the real Michael Jackson and how you had his best interests at at heart. You know, if listeners want to find out more, they need to get your book. Remember the time because we've only scratched the surface, haven't we, Bill?
3: (laughs) We certainly have. I think, you know, uh, there's certainly more to share, more to talk about. I I appreciate it. Thank you you for having me. Um, it's been a while since I sat down and put deep thought into where I've been with Mr. Jackson. You know, it's a, it's a side of me. I put it aside, but now this situation has come up with this, 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 this documentary. That's like, now, you know, I want to defend him. I don't want to feel I have to, but I feel there's a responsibility because you're talking about someone I knew. You're talking about a friend of mine. And let's all hope and pray that I don't run into either one of them dudes. Okay? Let's hope and pray on that. I don't ever want to see them.
2: I don't, the I don't think either. I'm going to hope and pray on that.
3: Well, I don't want to see them because we got to have a sit down.
0: Well, I'm sort of hoping and praying that you do run into them.
3: You know what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I ain't going to hope and pray
0: on that. That's We need to have a sit down.
3: <laughs> What you told to the cameras on that documentary is one thing. What you going to say to me is another. If you repeat what you said on that documentary, we have a problem.
0: there we go that was uh definitely a fun interview to record i really like talking to bill especially at the end where he (laughs) was making a couple of cracks there about what he'd do with jimmy and wade (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah how do you think it went mate
2: i think it went well it's always a good person to speak to Bill's someone that i've interviewed a couple of times prior to to this interview for another project that i've been working on and yeah he's he's a good guy to interview he's always open and honest and says it how it is and I think this was no different.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. I think it went really well.
0: Yeah. And he was there really for an incredibly mysterious and important part of Michael Jackson's life. You know, like you said in the intro to the show, this was a time when Michael was trying to rebuild his career after an incredibly difficult, you know, trial that went on in the mid 2000s. And it was only a few years later and Michael was dead. Um, so Bill was there for a lot of that, seeing what happened. Um, so there's still a lot to learn about that period, I think. And, I personally hope one day there's a book that covers this period of time. You know, I mean, obviously, we've got Bill's perspective and Jayvon's perspective, but man, there's so much still to learn.
2: Yeah, there's so much still to learn. And it's also a period of time that's kind of, I mean, you have to take someone's word for it, really, which is a big struggle that we have today. Michael's gone. He can't really validate any of the stories that are going to be told. So, you know, doing our best to, to fact check and corroborate what people are saying about that period is important. But it certainly is interesting. It's certainly something that doesn't have much literature, which is, you know, why it's so mysterious to fans. And I think it's it's the kind of part of Michael's life that has no closure. It's that part of the, his life where he was working on music, but he never got to finish it. And a lot of that stuff is stuff that we've never heard. He was planning a, a concert tour, but he never got to perform it. Uh, and we'll never actually know what it truly would have looked like because he's not here to to show us artistically and personally, it's, it's a definitely, it's going to probably remain the most mysterious part of Michael's life. And the people who really do know the stuff like Bill and like people like Michael Prince and Brad Buxer who were so close to Michael in that period, they're also good people. They also re- respect Michael's privacy and they're not going to go out and talk about all of the things that really don't mean too much in the, in the scheme of Michael Jackson, the the King of Pops. So
0: um, I also got to say as well, since you know we recorded this episode and I and I put it out there that we'd be releasing it, I have heard from a couple of people uh, on Twitter just voicing a, a few little concerns there around some of the things Bill has been uh, retweeting or saying on his Twitter about leaving Neverland, uh, things pertaining to you know some of the um, you know like uh, footage or or things like that in the in the film being faked. And I think it's important to note that, you know what, at the end of the day, there's a lot of fans out there that are trying to take elements of that film and make it look as though it's a conspiracy. And, of course, overall, it is a conspiracy. It's these two guys trying to bring down Michael Jackson's name uh, with no evidence. But uh, there are some, some, some things in the film that, you know, I, I would suggest still are legitimate. And, you know, things like the, the handwritten notes, things like the, you know, the photographs in there and I, I worry that there's fans out there that are, are desperate to make Wade and Jimmy look even worse than they already are making themselves look by, by sort of fabricating these these conspiracies. And, you know, if you see Bill retweeting a thing or two on Twitter, then, hey, you know, maybe he's fallen victim to some of these things as well. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, we're all entitled to, to say what we want, and today, 2019, everybody has access to broadcast their views to the entire world. So, I mean not everything that, that that people tweet is true. Not everything that's in that documentary is true, but there certainly are some things in that documentary that are true. And I mean, it's not Bill's job to fact check and validate everything. And, you know, he's just out there trying to stand up for Michael. I have seen a few things that he has tweeted that are provably incorrect, but he's human. So I'd say I give him a break. I don't think he's out there maliciously trying to change the narrative of, of history. I think he just, you know, has people telling him this is not true that's not true and he's just trying to you know, pass the message on really I mean that's all it is on Twitter isn't it someone posts something you think it's true or you agree with it you retweet it and then all of a sudden you've said it because you hit retweet so it's a difficult it's a difficult prospect at the moment with everybody in the world being you know a citizen journalist
0: <laughs> Yeah.
2: It 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 really it has changed the landscape of of journalism altogether and I think that's why we find ourselves in a really troubling position with real journalists not actually doing their job properly either because it's just all too easy to just quote and and screen capture and and, and retweet and yeah. So we really have to be careful with the sources that we trust and, and the information that we believe to be true. Every single thing that we see in here we should we should really be skeptical of and we should scrutinize and we should fact check just like we're asking Dan Reed to have done with his film which he didn't do so we can't be we can't be hypocrites and and not do it in certain certain instances where we feel that the piece of information that's been tweeted validates our our opinion we can't just be victims of our own confirmation bias we have to be skeptical and scrutinize everything because otherwise we're hypocrites
0: exactly exactly now let's not get too deep into the leaving the Neverland rabbit hole because on our next episode of the MJ cast, our first regular episode of season five, we'll be going deep into that. Um, But speaking of scrutinizing evidence, we know that you, Damien are putting together a podcast yourself uh, called faking Michael. uh, And it is about the second biggest controversy in the Michael Jackson fan world these days, uh, the Casio tracks. And of course we talked to bill a little bit about that in the interview. Listeners only got to hear about half of what you asked him, Uh, cut a little bit out there, but um, Basically, we, um, you know, uh, I'm I'm waiting. I can't wait for your documentary or your audio documentary podcast to come out. And I think there's a lot of people in the fan community feeling exactly the same way. It's a shame in a way that it's been slightly overshadowed at the moment by this even bigger and more horrible uh, controversy. Um, Because it must be difficult for you right now mentally to knuckle down and focus on that. Is that right or how are you feeling about it?
2: It's the never-ending project, isn't it? It's the thing that I've been talking about for eight and a half years which still hasn't happened. And I'm sure people are kind of almost sick of me saying that it's going to happen. Probably I don't have much credibility there with uh, trying to convince people that it is coming. But it is. Yeah, it, it is difficult to find the, the spark to work on it in a time like this because obviously these allegations – Uh, killing everyone's spirits and so you you know when you're sad you're not really feeling your most productive secondly you're also you know me personally I, i feel like i need to go in and and do what i can to to speak on the situation that is currently a news item i can't be out there still banging on about the the fake songs when the guy who is alleged to have recorded them is currently being painted by the media as a pedophile. I think there's, you know, bigger fish to fry at the moment. Yeah, I mean, the project is is still going to happen and I am still actively working on it behind the scenes when I have the time and energy. But I'm also trying to put a lot of my energy towards doing what I can, the very small part of the puzzle that I can to give Michael a voice with with all these this craziness that's going on. So I would just please ask public and the the fan to be patient with the faking Michael project because to me, it's my life's work. It's what I've decided to, to dig in and make myself an expert on. And it's something that I'm going to speak with authority on. I feel like I've done so much research that people have never had the opportunity to to, to engage with yet, that when they do, it will really change perceptions and clear up any questions about the, the nature of those songs. But I also don't want to try and force it down people's throats in a time where we are galvanized and united and, and marching forward to try and do something else great for Michael and the community. And I think that um, you know, I have to be patient The people in my life have to be patient with the fact that, you know, I don't control the way that this, this narrative unfolds and, and, and right now we have to kind of do what we can for Michael and his legacy in the way that we're doing it. So faking Michael is coming, but I don't know when, hopefully at some stage this year, hopefully sooner than later, but, as the story unfolds, we will uh, will really get a, a, a picture of when I'm going to be able to, and when it's going to be, and when it's going to be suitable to put it out. Because you don't want to put it out at a time where it's just not the right climate and people aren't people mm. aren't ready for it. People don't want it at that, is, that right. right right now. If I put it out right now, people will go, "Who cares? We've got we've got more important things to deal with." And that's true, and I and I agree and acknowledge that. So we'll see.
0: We'll see. But uh, I want to, you know, you, you said before about you wanting to spend this time defending Michael and setting the record straight in the way that you can. And props to you, man, because you've done an outstanding job. You've been in the New York Times. You've been on ABC News in Australia. Uh, just watching you work has been like, you know, it's it's been phenomenal. So definitely an inspiration for me and many other fans as well. Well done. Oh,
2: thanks, man. I do what I can. Each, each of us needs to do our own little part. That's That's all we can do. None of our That's jobs, it. none of our duties, but we feel it's um, it's an honour to do it. So,
0: so how are you holding up?
2: It's tough, man. To be completely honest, it's you know, everything is just it's completely um, it's defeating. It really is because, you know, we're people with lives and friends and relationships and and family and jobs and bills to pay and we have a life to go about. But also then there's this weight that we should be doing what we can for a guy we never met. And um, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to, 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 bat, to juggle all the balls and to make it all work and to, to go to sleep at night and feel good and then and wake up with a smile the next day. It's a, it's, a, it's a difficult time. So, And fans all around the world are suffering. It's not just you and me, it's everyone. So we can all relate to one another at this moment and it's something that we just have to knuckle down and get through.
0: Yeah, and we will. We'll do it. We've done it before. We'll do it again. And we all need to remember right now that there are avenues that we can support to make this a much better scenario. And that is Taj Jackson's GoFundMe, which is online right now. You can find it. So, the URL is gofundme.com slash untitled hyphen Michael hyphen Jackson hyphen documentary hyphen series. <laughs> and uh, Taj has raised so far just under $92,000. It's $91,835. And, of course, he's got that big goal there of $777,000, which uh, we need to keep working towards. There's some projects out there that, um, you know, are suffering pretty badly. There was the Innocent Campaign with all the bus adverts, which has just been made – well, they've been cancelled, basically, by the advertising company that was distributing them around the place in London.
2: Jamie, can I just chime in on that? I think that's an outrage. That's an outrage that that's been cancelled. Those fans who all came together to, to raise the funds for that, they ought to take a class action litigation against the, the London Transport Department because I mean they can't be censored in that way. They've they've met all of the required conditions for the advertising to be made public. And they've been silenced. And there's and there's not just one person who's paid for that. That's a lot of people who've ch- chimed in together to to make that happen. Um, all of their money has been wasted now. And Michael yeah. Jackson's voice has been completely silenced, and that's just it's an outrage and an atrocity and, I, and I'm and i not a lawyer and I don't know UK law, but that does not sound legal. I mean, I think they really need to look into it and see what avenues they have to take action against London Transport. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it's it's the same thing when you look at a lot of companies around the world, whether it's Starbucks or, you know, Cotton On in Australia or this advertising company in London. In the Me Too era, people at, you know, companies are terrified with throwing in with... Um, perceived pedophiles. So it's a very, very sad reality, and I agree with you. People that have given money to that should not be silenced because – It's an important, truthful message to get out there. Uh, If you are thinking of giving money to something that is going to have a long-term benefit for Michael Jackson's legacy, please do consider Taj Jackson's documentary. We know he's working very hard with it and speaking to lots and lots of experts on the situation. What we need as a fan community is something bigger and better than leaving Neverland and something more truthful as well. So I've got very high hopes for what Taj can do. Moving forward, if you want to hear more of The MJcast, you certainly can. We are a podcast, so we'd love it if you could subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app out there for Android. You can find us on our website, themjcast.com, which is a repository for all our episodes in the past. We're on social media at the MJCast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we would love to hear from you as well. If you'd like to send us an email at the MJcast at iCloud.com. We love hearing from Michael Jackson fans all around the world. Now, Damien, you've got a podcast that people could subscribe to as well. There's only a teaser out there at the moment for it, but episodes will be coming. Do you want to tell listeners where people can subscribe to you and find you on social media as well?
2: Yeah, sure. All the podcast platforms, you know, Apple Podcasts and Spotify specifically. It'll also be on YouTube. There's a there's a trailer out on YouTube as well. You just search for Faking Michael. It should be the first thing that pops up. Like I said, subscribe because you'll get the episodes delivered to you once they come. It's just a matter of when. I don't know when that's going to be. So please don't be mad at me that you've subscribed to my podcast and you haven't got anything for it for months and months on end. <laughs> but it's out there. And if you want to contact me directly as well, I'm uh, at Damien Shields on Twitter and my website is DamienShields.com. I don't have Facebook. I don't have any other of the social media. So um, just Twitter or my website and you'll be able to reach me directly.
0: I also should mention as well to remind people that Damien, you are the author of a book as well. Do you want to tell people a little bit about that?
2: Uh, yeah. Michael Jackson, Songs and Stories from the Vault. It's a book that chronicles eight songs that were released after Michael died. Uh, It delves into Michael's creative process and tries to put the reader as a fly on the wall in the studio to see how Michael Jackson worked and to dissect the anatomy of his craftsmanship. The eight songs that I've detailed in that book are the eight songs that were released on the Escape album in 2014. And the reason I did that was because when those songs were released, there really wasn't much attention given to telling the public where the songs came from and, and how they ended up in the state that they were. So I'm really just trying to fill a void that was left by the estate when they released that project. I feel like that, uh, that there was a necessity to, to tell people about them and, uh, try to find the most compelling way to talk about Michael Jackson in a biographical sense while also detailing specifically the origin of the songs. So the book was originally released under the title escape origins. It was a little bit less biographical at that point and probably only something that somebody who had knowledge of the Escape album could pick up and read and and understand. So I have repurposed it. I rewrote it. I expanded it. I included new information. It's about 40 pages longer than it originally was. And the reason I wanted to do that was because I, I wanted it to be something that anybody in the public could pick up, open the, the first page and read through to the end, and have a complete and full understanding of who Michael was, what his life story was, and his creative process as well. So uh, a little bit more biographical than the first version.
0: Awesome book. I'm still waiting for my signed copy. The only copy of the new one I've got, except for my digital version because I like my my e-books, but the only physical version I've got is a very, very rare free version. version.
2: Yeah, I brought you a a draft when we had a a print run done, but it – well, it's underwent additional changes. That's right. So, I do have a few extra copies of the the final version.
0: But I've got I've got my one's really special. It it what it does is it if you leave it on a table, it curl it like folds. It curls up. Oh, the free
2: willy one. I, I understand the, what you're talking about now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: My cover. Yeah, curls ca- up. the
2: captive <laughs> the captive whale version. <laughs> the, and you've got the animal cruelty version. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Peter, Peter would not be happy with that book. Who's Peter? The um, what they called the
0: protection of Animals? oh, Pete. Like I, uh, I Peter, P E T A. I thought you're talking about Peter, P-E-T-A, like P-E-T-A, a dude. Yeah. Like who's Peter? Uh, I haven't met Peter. thought so you, Peter yet. Jackson, like Lord of the Rings guy.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's one Jackson I'm not interested in. Thank you very much.
0: The MJ Cast.